worship, and I, I am really excited, I must tell you, to see all of these, well, not new faces. I know all you guys, but we've got a few new faces in our, in our uh, house of worship today. And so we thank you guys for being here. God bless you. I'm looking forward to next week. There being a little more, as Pastor said. Look, I'm just going to say this. I don't want to get into too much of that. He, he said it very well. But I will just say this. It's time. It's a personal decision, and everybody has to make a decision, and we respect everyone's decision, of course. But my message is, it's time. It's time, folks. It's time to break out of this thing that, that we've had. It's time to, and, and the specific message I want to share with you today is it's time for a restoration of hope. It's time for a restoration of hope. Now, a lot of you say, well, I'm hopeful, I'm believing, I've got faith, Pastor Billy. That's great. But you know what? I need this message today, too. I know I did as I was preparing for it. And I've heard recently many Christian leaders, and I think this is a great thing, asking us to pray for a spiritual awakening coming out of this COVID-19. Let's turn what the enemy meant for evil into good, and let's pray for that. And we always pray for revival. But we're, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. 100% we should be praying that God will use this in a powerful way to open the eyes of people in this world today, in our community, and yes, even maybe many people in our church. And I certainly want that for, for all of those people groups. But the primary thing that I believe that most people, first of all, everyone in the world needs hope. Do you need hope? I need hope. Everyone needs hope. But I believe what, what really is one of the big things that people need at this moment during this crisis is a restoration of hope. And many of us, most of us that we see in the stores, driving the little bit of time that we have out, some of us are still working, when we've been out and, and in uh, public, I see all around me people just by the looks on their faces, sort of some of the, 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 the in uh, the... Uh, body language that I, that I observe, there are people that need a restoration of hope. People are stressed. I see people stressed all the time. You can just tell. You know how you can just tell? I, see them, I feel like people are besieged. I think some people feel like they're under siege, you know, that there's been something set up around their house, you know, and, and I'm under siege. I think Pastor Bill might feel like that a little bit, you know. And, and again, we've been doing that for all good reasons. But there are also people that have great needs as a result of this crisis. Financial needs, and, and not just financial needs, although that's a big one. When you've got 30 million people applying for unemployment in two months, there are people with financial needs. And they're right here in our community, and we need to pray for that. We want to help and believe God to just meet those needs and do our part, and I believe we are. But it's more than that. It's emotional needs. It's mental health needs. There are people that are really struggling. But again, this pandemic is what it is. But what they all need, what we all need, is a restoration of hope. Hope, like COVID-19, hope, like the coronavirus, is contagious. When I have more hope about what's happening in the next few days, and I encounter one of you, you're going to have more hope. That's the way it works, folks. Hope is a contagious thing. 
That's why we need it to well up within us. We need to have a greater hope than we ever have. Not because of what the government's going to do. Not because of what the scientists are going to do and the vaccines and things are going to happen. Not because of that. All of that's wonderful. We need to have a greater hope because of the one that we trust. Because of where our faith and hope is. And that's Jesus Christ. It's contagious. But if you watch or read the news, and I do every day, Try to do it as little as I can now. But I do. Man, it is leading you down a road of discouragement. Depressing things. That's right. That's the, that's the, that's the direction that they're pushing us. But Jesus. Jesus. Jesus wants to restore hope to every discouraged heart. And that is my message today. And there's a story I want to tell you from Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to there. Or if you have a device that has the Bible app on it, feel free to use that. I think we'll have these on the screen as well. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. It's a passage I'm going to read because I believe the context of this as I unpack this will be something that will that will that that I believe will help us as we look towards this restoration of hope. And it says this in verse 13. This is the English Standard Version. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, Jesus said, imagine now, he's coming up beside these guys, walking down this road. And he says, hey, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? Now, I I sort of picture this because it says, and they stood still looking sad. So now if they're walking, we're walking, we're talking to one another. All of a sudden, Jesus, they don't know it's him. This other guy shows up, asks them what they're talking about, and they just stop. And they look sad. And it's almost like they they can't believe that they're being asked this. Because it goes on to say, then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was, say was, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, say hoped, hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, I'm going to continue in a second, but I want to point out those two words. These two men walking on the road to Emmaus are speaking of Jesus in the past tense. He was a prophet. He was mighty indeed and in word before God. But he was. He is no more. He was. And then they go on to say, we had hoped, which means that we are not hoping for anymore because that case is closed. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Very important to understand their state of mind. Let's go on now. Verse 22, 
And it, well, the end of verse 21 is, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened, the men were saying. Verse 22, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman, the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus now speaking to the men walking down the road again, O foolish ones! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, Jesus did. But they urged him, the two men urged Jesus, him strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, Jesus was, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. See, at that point... That moment's when they finally recognized him for who he was, not when he was teaching and doing everything else. They recognized him for who he was, and then what happened? He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. This is the group telling the, the two men this. Then they told what had happened on the road. They shared that with the disciples and the ones that were gathered there. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. There's a lot of things that are important in here. But I'm going to tell you, I love this story. I love this story. This is a story of two guys. One who's named Cleopas and the other guy is not named. It may even have been a woman, but assume it would be a man. But... We don't know who that person is. It's not recorded. So as I was reading this numerous times this last week, I put myself in that place. I tried to put myself in the place of the second guy. If I was one walking down the road and just trying to experience sort of what would it been like to be there, what would I have said, how would I have felt after all of this, maybe you could do that today. Think a bit of yourself in that, in that place. But I will tell you this. I believe that the road to Emmaus was a road to discouragement. That was the road that they were on. It was a road to disappointment. That's where these guys were headed. And, and you know, the, the reality is some things don't work out as we plan. Anybody ever have that happen? Best laid plans don't work out. <laughs> Almost all of mine work out that way. We want things to be a certain way, and it just it doesn't always turn out that way. And as a result, we can feel let down, depressed, and here's what happens after a while. You begin to lose. It might be in a lot of things. You might lose hope in the government. You might lose hope in, sometimes, in our marriage. We might lose hope in, in things all around us. And sometimes we lose hope even in our faith. So, so this man, Cleopas, and, and you or I, who are walking down this road to Emmaus, is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, the word Emmaus means 
Uh, when I looked this up, there were two or three different versions of this definition, but it, it means warm springs. So I'm assuming by that, at that place, there may have been some warm springs that people in those days would go and bathe in and that kind of thing. And I think these guys were hoping, as they're walking down this road, to find solace, not just uh, physically, uh, but emotionally. They had to be, again, think about what they've been through in the last three days as followers of Jesus now. But this is Resurrection Sunday, by the way. This is, this is the day of the resurrection this is occurring. Think about what they have been through. Been through seeing him beaten, tortured. Every, and every hope and everything they had put in this, gone. They referred to it that way. He was a prophet. They hoped he was going to be these things. But I think they were just spent, man. They needed a break. Have you ever felt like that? Or you need a break? That's why they have things like spa days. I don't get to do that very often, but that's why they have them. That's why they have massages. That's why they have hot tubs. Got a guy here in church that just got a new hot tub recently, and, and he gets in there because he's had a, you know, stressed out a little bit or feeling a little fatigue from the day, and it relaxes you. It's a good thing. That's why we have all these things. Or, you know, sometimes it, if you look at the, the, the story of these two guys, I feel like that's where they were. They were just wrecked. They were just ready and needed a break. They needed uh, to get over this place where they were despondent, disillusioned, uh, whatever it was over what had happened in the previous three days. They just needed to get away. And uh, there's a video that will maybe illustrate this a little bit. Let me show you this. See, they put their hope in a Messiah that 
would set straight the political and the economic system of the day. And being under Roman oppression, I don't know that I could blame him for feeling that way. That's why he was so uh, greatly welcomed, not only for this, but so greatly welcomed on Palm Sunday, as we celebrate on Palm Sunday, in the, uh, in the, uh, in, in the time just before his crucifixion. But what happened was the elite and the corrupt Jewish leaders created false charges and turned him over to be crucified. And so for those guys like Cleopas and his friend, things didn't go the way they planned. They didn't. They, were, they felt sad. If the scripture says they stopped and they looked sad. That's what it says. I think they were dejected. I think they were hopeless. I think they were defeated. I think that was the mindset of these guys. And it's important to know that because as Jesus tended to do, now listen to me now, as Jesus tended to do in his ministry, he showed up at exactly the right time with exactly the right message for these two men that felt that way. He was at the place right where he needed to be. So how is hope restored? How is that happening with these fellas? How is it going to happen with us? How is it going to be impactful to those around us, maybe in our family? How can we be the agent of change to help restore hope in everyone around us, make it contagious? There's three things I want to share with you. The first one is, in order to have a restoration of hope, you need an encounter with the resurrected king. You need an encounter with Jesus. When you have a true encounter, now I'm talking about if you have experiences, then this is where you need to talk. When you have a true encounter with Jesus, life change occurs. Things just start looking differently. It changes you from the inside out. That's what happens when you have that encounter. And there was a time in my life, I'm going to tell you, that I was hopeless. I can relate to this. I had all kinds of good things going for me around by what the world would measure, but I found my hope in, in parties or in hanging out with people that would be my so-called friends. I was losing hope, though, in fact, day by day. I was losing hope. I had no purpose attached to my life. Things were not falling into place for me. They were falling apart. It was a very dark time for me. And that, in fact, I was too sad, really, as I think these men were. I was too sad to know how hopeless I really was and how depressed I was. And listen, there was a, and the thing is, there was a huge void in my life that was causing it. It was a big, huge void. It wasn't addiction. It wasn't that. I all contributed to it. The reason is, is because I didn't have a relationship with God. There was this big void in my life where I didn't have that relationship with the Lord that I had had and experienced so much of my life. It was not there anymore. I needed an encounter with the resurrected King. And just as Jesus does, just as he did for these two men, he showed up. He showed up at exactly the right time in his plan and his purposes with exactly the right message. And for once, after times when I would deny it and not follow it, I was obedient to it. And he delivered me and he showed up and he did things I couldn't do. He radically and completely transformed my life. Totally. 180 degrees. So yeah, we need to restore hope. We need an encounter with the resurrected king. 
And another thing we need is we need faith in God's Word. Now you'll say, well, I've got faith in God's Word. I'm talking about absolute. I'm talking about all in. I'm not talking about cherry picking or picking things that we like or that we agree with or that are easy. I'm saying faith total, all in, in God's Word. Our hope, all of us, our hope is in the living God. That's it. That's the only place that it can be found. And we know Him, we know this living God through His Word. That's how we know Him. That's how we, that's how we grow in Him. We, that's how we can trust in Him because of His Word. And in verse 27 of what we just read, Jesus explained. He said, they, they were, he was explaining the scriptures to them. He was explaining the word of God. It was about a particular thing, about the Messiah and, and going over all of those things. But, but he was speaking the word of God into the lives of these men. He was declaring truth to them. He was trying to ignite their faith in, God, in, in God's Word. And I believe that he did. I believe even though they didn't really realize it for a little while, they started to feel faith activating, igniting. And faith in God's Word was activated in these men on that road. So while Jesus was teaching, now again, Jesus was teaching these men what it, what it was is to have a full understanding of, of what Messiah was. And those men, again, thought of him perhaps as a military conqueror or a political leader. But Jesus was showing them and trying to teach them how to see the real mission and the purpose of Messiah. That's what he was trying to do. And how that applied to the people of Israel and yet even also to the entire world. And I'm sure one of the prophets he talked about was Isaiah. Had to be. Said they, 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 the scripture says it was everything from Moses and all the prophets. So I'm assuming Isaiah was right in there. And he was likely talking about some things in, that are recorded in what we refer to as Isaiah chapter 53. About the suffering of the Messiah. He wasn't just to be all those other things. And, and in chapter 53, and if you have a time today, I would encourage you just to, just to go and read Isaiah 53. The chapter. It'll take you 90 seconds maybe to do that. You could read it a couple of times. Just to sort of refresh yourself. But one of the things I think he was telling them about how Jesus, what the Messiah was there, he was coming to suffer. That's part of what his mission was. He was going to be despised, rejected, tortured, spit upon, mocked, beaten. I mean, every time I think about it, I just, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't even make any sense to me in my natural mind why anyone would do that for me. But he did. He did it for me. He did it for you. And John the Baptist said so wonderfully, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus, and what he was teaching these guys about what the Messiah really was, he suffered to be our substitute. He was the substitute for us in all that he endured. And so as he's sharing with these men an in-depth look at the scriptures, as it was written that we read just a moment ago, concerning himself, their hope, they may not have totally realized it yet, their hope was being restored. Their hope was being restored. And in verse 32, they reflected now, after Jesus had appeared and he left, they, it all of a sudden started to click. In verse 32, they said, they, they, they were really looking at it like, man, there's a lot of power in the word of God. This, 
what he shared with us, and the way they said it was, didn't our heart burn within us as he walked with us and explained the scriptures to us? You see, God's word can stand on its own. It doesn't need any help from us. It can stand on its own, and it can do in our lives what we cannot do. And this is something that I think these guys are starting to get a grasp on. God's word, and it says it in Hebrews 4.12, God's word is alive and powerful. It says it like this. For the word of God is alive and powerful. Say alive. Say powerful. You can't say those words without having some emphasis behind it. God's word is and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word purifies. God's word clarifies. God's word sets the table for what we need to do each and every day. If we'll read it and listen to it and obey it, that's what it's all about. This is one of the things that these guys were learning. The power of God's Word. So I'm encouraging you today. Let God's Word soak into your life. When you water a garden or you water a flower or whatever, you see when you put the water in, it stands for a minute, and then it just sort of soaks in. That's what you want God's Word to do. To soak in. Then what happens when you water a plant or you water a garden and it soaks in? It, it begins to take root. And as it takes root, it begins to do what? It begins to grow. It begins to be more powerful in your life. It begins to do things that you cannot do for yourself. Let God's word take root in your spirit. When it does, when you let it soak in like that, it will grow. And as it grows, your faith in God's word will get greater and greater and greater. So I say to you today, let God's word do its work. It's there for a purpose. Let it do its work. And as it does, it will increase your faith. Your faith in God's word will grow more and more and more. And to restore hope, not only in your life, but to your family, to those around you, to those that God puts in your pathway, coming out of this situation we're in, God's word, faith in God's word is essential. It's essential. As is an encounter even if it's a new encounter or a refreshed encounter with the resurrected king. It's life-changing, man. God's word's life-changing. And the whole thing is, and he said this in Isaiah 2, God doesn't say anything by accident. Everything in God's word is for you and for I to apply to our lives. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says this, this is the amplified version. So will my word be which goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me void, useless, without result, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding, listen to that now, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it, says the Lord. His word matters. It's powerful. We need to have an absolute faith in God's word. And in verse 30, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and you'll see as, as we go through this, the more faith that these guys have in what Jesus was teaching them, hope is being restored in their life. It's growing. It's shining light 
God's word will do this in all of our lives. But for these guys, it's opening up their eyes, just like it opened up their eyes to see that it was Jesus. It shines light into the dark places God word, God's word does. It shines, it, 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 it speaks life. It places life in places that are dead or lifeless. That's what God's word can do. That's what it did in my life. In places that were dead, it continues to do it every day. So we need a resurrect, uh, an encounter with the resurrected king. We need absolute faith in God's word. And the last thing we need to see hope restored is a course correction. We need a course correction. In verse 33, now these two men, you see, they changed their course immediately. It says that within the hour, they were heading back to Jerusalem. They didn't hang around anymore. They were going this way on this road to go accomplish whatever they thought they were going to do in Emmaus. They were heading that way. And then after an encounter with the resurrected king and with a teaching and, and restoring and activating their faith in God's word, they made a course correction. I'm not going down this road to disappointment anymore. I'm not going to head that way. I'm turning around and going back to Jerusalem. That's what they decided to do. And I believe they realized that. If they had continued down that road and kept going the way that they were going, it would only lead to more despair, confusion, and whatever they were experiencing, the things that they had felt like hopeless about, that they had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, that would be the feelings that they had. They needed to lean into their faith right now. They needed to lean into it, and they did. They had an encounter with the resurrected king. They were restoring their faith in God's word, and they were making a course correction. Heading back the other way. They wanted to go and be around their friends. They wanted to be encouraged and to encourage others. Verse 35 says that they found the 11 and shared with them this remarkable story that we're sharing with you today. Think about that. They went in there and told them this. They were inspired by it. Now, the disciples and those that were gathered with them also were saying to them, He's risen indeed and, and, and has appeared to Simon, to Peter. So it was a mutual thing. There was a lot of encouragement going on. They were inspired by this, and they heard this other confirmation. And I wonder if they thought at that point, man, does something need to change in my life? I was walking down this road doing all this, and, and, and what do I need to change? I would ask you that question today. I'm asking myself that, really. What or do you feel like something needs to change in your life? It's not an embarrassing thing. I'll tell you why. Because I think there's things I need to change in my life. There are things. That's an everyday occurrence, I believe. I believe that it is. You say, well, Pastor Billy, you're supposed to be, you know, you're preaching and you're saying all these things. Isn't that, aren't you supposed to have it all together? No. <laughs> no. And anybody that preaches from this pulpit that you think does, you're mistaken. I don't mean that to be negative. I mean it to be truthful. I don't think any pastor would tell you. I know this one over here wouldn't. Yeah, I've arrived. I've got it all figured out. No, I don't need a course correction. I don't need to change anything in my life. No, I'm good. It may be big. It may be small. It doesn't really matter what it is, but something in our lives needs to change. Something in the lives of these guys needed to change. And look, it is up to us. See, God gives us this free will that we enjoy. Okay, and all the things that we enjoy about it. But it's up to us because we have to decide. We have to make the change 
whatever that is, and then we have to be the change. We have to live the change. So change requires a course correction, which is what these guys did. Change requires a, a new direction, if you will, or at least a different direction. I might ask our praise team if they would to come as we close. So sometimes we've got to realize that walking down the same road that we're on like these two men were doing, it's going to only lead to more circumstances that will disappoint. I mean, sometimes we have to realize that. I don't know what the road will be and what pathway you're on, but sometimes you've got to realize that it's not getting any better. It's not going to get better the further you walk down the road. You need a course correction. And Cleopas and his friend knew that. And so if we want God to restore hope in our lives, in the lives of our families, in those around us, wherever that we, we may be, and into our circumstances, just restore hope into the circumstances of our life, we need to stop going down this current road we're on and head back in the other direction. We need to do what these guys did. We need to turn Within the hour, they said. We just immediately, it can be done. It's a decision that we can make and only we can make. We need to go back toward the people of God. That's why I think it's so important what Pastor shared earlier, that we get back into the habit. And the scripture uses that word too, by the way. Don't be in the habit of forsaking fellowship. We've got to get back in that habit got to break any bad habits and get back into to good habits. But we've got to be so important to do that. Next week is Mother's Day, by the way. It's a good time to start. We'll have everything here that we talked about earlier. I won't go over it again. We'll do social distancing. We'll have everything else in place. We'll, we'll do our best. But it's, it's time. And Mother's Day would be a great time to do it. And look, when we're together, when we gather together, we encourage one another. We love one another. We pray for one another. Sometimes we share, share uh, joy with one another, and sometimes we share tears. And boy, that's a good thing. I see it every Sunday when we're gathered together, little pockets of people building up one another, sharing one another's burdens. It's what it's all about. And I want to just say this too. Maybe today you need a course correction. And that course correction for you is accepting Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. Now, I'm not going to go into that any further except to say, whoever it is that hears me say that right now, you know who you are. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart right now. You may be in this building. You may be watching on the Internet. It doesn't matter. There's no restriction or boundary to the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, if you need a course correction to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know who you are today. Right now you know. And if that's something that's speaking into your heart, believe me, that's the Spirit of God calling you and, and, and asking you to come into a place where He can restore hope and lift you up to places that you could never have imagined that you could go if you'll be obedient and follow Him. That's a message for someone today. It may be that you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you were like me and you lived your life and were faithful and served God and loved God and were just excited about it, and then you had a, a season of falling away. Doesn't matter why, it doesn't matter how, none of that matters. 
But maybe your course correction today is to reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ. To reaffirm the decision that I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to put Him in His rightful place. I'm going to make Him Lord of my life today. You can do that today. And if that's you, wherever you are, here or somewhere else, you know who you are. Perhaps even some of us just need a course correction to spend more time with the Lord. To find moments to be quiet before Him. To know Him more. To grow. To seek Him more. To learn of Him more. To to be more in His Word. Maybe that's a course correction for some. But here's the thing. You and only you. I can only decide for me what road I'm going to walk down. If I'm going to keep walking down the road to things that maybe aren't as healthy for me, it may be a minor thing, it may be a major thing. If I'm going to walk down the road to things that aren't healthy for me, well, then so be it. I've made that decision. But if I want everything that God has for me, if I want full hope of what the future holds for me in God's will, I want to go down the road. I want to make a course correction moving more toward Him. Getting back around the people of God, just like these fellows did. I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to head back toward the Christ followers. (laughs) Or I'm going to head toward Him. I want to be, do you want to be, I want to be in the atmosphere of worshiping God. I want to be in the presence of God. And I know we can experience that in many different ways. But that's the course correction I want to make. I want more of that. And look, in verse 30 of this passage we read, when Jesus broke the bread with them and blessed it, the Scripture said their eyes were opened. Jesus was revealed to them based on the teaching of the Scripture, igniting their faith in God's Word, and in communion. The only other times it was recorded that He broke bread and blessed it like that or a couple of times, and one was the Last Supper. That's what he was doing with these fellows. He was, he was breaking bread. And I can't help but think that during this time of reflection, as they reflected over how their hearts burned with the things that he was sharing with them, that they may have remembered some of these words that were in Isaiah chapter 53 I was referring to earlier. One verse in that. The purpose of it all, why Jesus came. Isaiah 53, 5, in the Amplified Version says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. For what we did wrong, wasn't his fault. What we did, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickedness, for our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment, the punishment required for our well-being. The punishment that was required for us to live in this world, in this life, like we live today. For our well-being fell on Him. By His choice. And by His stripes, by His wounds, we are healed. And I declare that over you today. Wherever you are, By his stripes and by his wounds, you are healed. You may be healed of an emotional problem. You may be healed of a physical challenge. You may be having a mental.
week. But what Jesus did, you were healed in the name of Jesus. We believe that today. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away, takes away the sin of the world, John 1.29 says. It can't be any clearer than that. And these guys, once they realized that it was Jesus, it, it had to sink in. Jesus conquered death. If they realized that he vanished, and then all of a sudden that was Jesus when he broke bread. It's like he conquered death. Jesus. 